They're the people who shape the place, the place that shapes the world. Welcome to the latest podcast from Citizens of Manchester, brought to you by Marketing Manchester. Stanley Chow has become world famous for his quirky illustrations of famous people. I'm Simon Donoghue, Manchester content curator at Marketing Manchester. I met up with Stan to talk about his work, his life and his love of Manchester. So tell okay. me... Um... Tell me a little bit about growing up in Manchester and you know what you what you fond memories. Well, I was born in Wivenshaw, and I was and um, I spent the first few years of my life um, living in Altrincham. You had a chip in Altrincham, and all I remember was just kind of watching my parents cook food, serve chips, and then we moved to Marple near Stockport, and um, doing that for until I was fourteen, fifteen, until I was end up working. In the you know, in the chip shops when I was younger, and um, but yeah, but I wasn't you know we, we used to come into Manchester like every every weekend like Sunday to have like you know go to Chinatown have dim sum, and that was like that was tradition you know what I mean every Sunday I still do that with my kids now we come into Chinatown and um, just kind of eat food you know and um, and yeah it was I guess it was quite a for me, it was a, that was my normal life, really. You know what I mean, I was quite, quite mellow, relaxed, and and stuff. And what we, what were your parents like? Did they tell you much about having come here? That was, that was a big thing to come from Hong yeah. Kong to Manchester. Oh, yeah. I guess a big, a big change in, for them. What, what was the story behind there? Well, well, the reason why my dad came over to to England was I just think if he just felt England had a um, there are more opportunities in, in England, you know. He um, he, he told he keeps telling me. Well, he used to tell me what like um, he landed landed in London, a five quid in his pocket. They stuck him on a bus, and the bus went up north, and um, and that's where he stayed basically. And uh, that, that was in the late fifties, and um, and since then he'd been working in restaurants and stuff, and um, then eventually he brought his first chippy in Altrincham in the early seventies. Did they have a? How did he meet your mum? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm. Uh, my dad met my mum. Well, he met my mum in Hong Kong, uh, like back in the day when there weren't that many Chinese women in um, in Britain. So every now and again, all the Chinese guys would fly back out to Hong Kong. They'll stay there for a few weeks, try and find a a girl and take them back, and that's pretty much what happened with, with my mum. You know. He managed to convince my mum to come, come over to England, you know, and and she kind of she came over here in the early seventies, and she worked in the restaurants around like around Cheshire, and um, they, I say like they worked together for a bit in a restaurant in Old Edge, and eventually they found the money to buy the Chinese takeaway, uh, Chippy in Altrincham. Were they really hard working? Well, yeah, it seemed like they were hard working. I mean, like. I remember, like they had to wake up at nine in the morning, uh, prepare all the all the food and stuff, to open up at midday. They open you open from midday t- till half one, close for a few hours, open for five o'clock, five o'clock till eleven, and then, you know, then after eleven o'clock, you know, you, you clear up and then go to bed. Then you wake up at, you know, wait well, wake me up, take me to school. La di la di la, you mean? So, just looking at those hours that they just doing that, 
you know, you knew they were hard working, you know. What did that teach you? Well, it didn't, it, it, it taught me that, like, um, well, because my parents worked so, so hard and it looked like it was such hard work, it told me that I, that's what I didn't want to do. You know what I mean? Uh, but essentially, I think um, it was ingrained in me hard work, you know what I mean? Uh, but what, I did, what it did teach me was I didn't want to work in the catering business, you know. It was, it was always, I guess, even from a young age, I was aware that I'm, I need to find a way out. My parents fully understood that. You know, they kind of, um, they, they made sure I had a good education and made sure, and it was paramount to them, you know, that I had a good education. Me and my sister had a good education. So we didn't have to kind of, like, like go through what they went through, basically. And what, did, did they tell you much about Chinese culture and Hong Kong culture? Did, did, did they, was that important to them? Um, initially, Chinese culture wasn't um, that important to them. I think they wanted me to integrate with British society more um, when I was younger. It, they really pushed me to kind of like actually find more white friends than actually have Chinese friends. Having said that, in the areas I li we lived in, we were the only Chinese family in the, in the in the area anyway. So that was never the the, the problem. But like. Um, well, not the only way they, talk, they didn't really tell me anything about Chinese culture. It's all it's all through food, really. That that you know, it was like um, it's like the, the meals we had. We didn't have like traditional English fish and chips, you know. Even though we owned the chippy, we had like a typical Chinese meal, which was kind of would be like awful and and noodles and strange vegetables, you know. And that, and also like you know, like, when we were poorer or anything, we'd always be given kind of, kind of traditional Chinese herbal remedies as opposed to kind of, you know, um, you know, Western medicine, basically, you know. So in that sense, we weren't directly taught, but it was very much part of my, my growing up, basically. And do you think it inspired your art in any way, even sub subconsciously? It, it, it probably did, you know, like, they, like my parents, like, um, they... Um, they bought like Chinese magazines and, and Chinese newspapers and and they were like I do remember like in some of the papers that they bought and the magazines they bought there, there were certain uh, cartoons and characters who that 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 I really liked you know and I used to copy whilst I was um, whilst I was learning to draw basically so even though I wouldn't say that, like they were an influence on me they probably did influence me kind of sub subconsciously basically when did you first um realize that you know art was your thing I think I realized art was my thing yeah around about the age of maybe four or five really you know it's it's all I ever did it's, it's all I fully fully thoroughly enjoyed it but um and I, and I can't remember I can't remember doing anything else really in in, in those days all all, all, the, all my parents gave me were, was literally like here's a whole load of chip paper and fill your boots I can't and I can't remember really having anything else as entertainment really. What were the things you were drawing then as a kid? I was, I, well it started out just learning how to draw cats and fish and stuff you know, you know and then I went on to drawing people and then and then I do remember actually I, I, can, I do remember I, I drew a nude woman once when I was about four and um, and then my mum saw it and she was mortified and because she was mortified I was mortified and I was like, please don't show daddy, please don't show daddy, you know what I mean? So, so, but how I got, you know, how I knew how to draw a nude woman was kind of like, 
really strange. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you were at school, were you thinking, right, I'm going to go and formally study art? Yeah. What was your training? Did you have formal training? Or did you... Well, a formal training, like people, I think, have a misconception of what formal training is. It's like, we just, um, I think, yeah, essentially I did, I, I did RA, GCSE, the, the RA level, but it's just kind of turning up and <laughs> rocking up and, and painting and you weren't really taught anything, I don't, I don't remember being taught anything. I just remember we just kind of like sat there and and uh, and did stuff and, and listened to the teachers, but it didn't feel like it was formal training as as, as you'd imagine what formal training is, you know. I mean? And then after our A-level, I went on to do Art Foundation in Manchester Poly, no, it's Manchester Metropolitan University, actually. Um, and then after that, I, I went down south for a few years to a place that I didn't apply to, go to. I wanted to leave very quickly, but I stuck out for two years, and then when I was 20, I came back up, back to, up to Manchester. What did you do then? Started working at Chippy again, but then also I managed to find an agent, an art, an illustration agent based in Manchester, as well as I started DJing in in the Northern Quarter before it was the Northern Quarter. This was back in 90, 95, 96, basically. And um, yeah, I was started DJing. I was, I was designing flyers and posters for like uh, bars and clubs. And um, yeah, so that was where. I kind of saw my kind of career start. That, that was a very important part of my career in terms of mixing and getting to know other creative people. But also, I had this backup of like, I had an illustration agent who would help me find work you know, at the same time whilst I was kind of hobnobbing with the locals in Manchester. And um, yeah, the, the, the combination of these two is, is what catapulted you know, well, what's what's was a catalyst from for the start in the start of my career. Yeah. That's when you realise you've been living. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it wasn't just you know. Well, I had to DJ as well. You know, because DJ. You know, I wasn't making that much money, but but the fact that I was making a little bit of money and, and then but I could also subsidise that by DJing was was um, was was good. It gave me a clear view of what I could achieve. Yeah. What was that era? What, kind of what year was that? Kind of. We're talking about um, it was around about ninety five, ninety six. No, it was ninety five when I moved first. Actually, moved into Manchester, and then around about ninety six, ninety seven, I could see I could probably make a bit of money out of DJing, basically, and then I carried on. I carried on DJing until about two thousand and two, two thousand and three, basically. And then the art took over. Pretty much so. Yeah. 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 What was the turning point, and what, what was the thing that happened that made you a full-time artist rather than a DJ? All oh, right, there's there's a lot of things where yeah, well, there wasn't there was no such turning point. It was it was a it was a slow kind of tipping point really. Like I was I was getting more and more work, and um, to a point where actually I'm finding it a struggle to actually DJ so so much whilst trying to whilst doing all this work basically. And um, and whilst and then slowly and over the years, more and more came my way, and therefore something had to give. And eventually, DJ just had to knock it on the head. Really, you know, I used to have like four regular nights, which I was really kind of proud of. But then 
that went reduced down to like two regular nights and then ended up just kind of maybe one a year basically. Yeah. Go for a bit as well, I guess. So. Yeah. Not, yeah. not so many late nights. No, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no. Another another thing with that change was the was the licensing policy. I mean, when I when I was in my my prime, so to speak, or the bar shut at two o'clock, you know, or 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 and the pubs were shut at eleven o'clock. But now everyone's got late licenses. And the managers still want you to DJ on until like four in the morning. I was like, "Come on, you know, give me a break." You know. So was the one piece of work that you remember being the like the first piece of like big commercial work where you thought actually, do you know what? I'm this is what I do. I'm in. Yeah. Well, the, well, yeah. There's um, yeah. I, I did a I did a piece for Vodafone. No, I, I did I did a Vodafone job and a BT job, two advertising campaigns, and like um, admittedly they they weren't kind of the there were jobs for like a job in Illustrator. They weren't. They didn't really kind of promote my my uh, reputation at all in any way. They just kind of made made me loads of money, you know. So, um, but I felt like um, as an artist, I needed uh, I needed a reputation boost as opposed to a bigger bank balance boost. If you know I mean, you know, and that's when the White Stripes came in, and when the White Stripes gave me a phone call, that's when it really changed from being. A jobbing illustrator to kind of, you know, I could, I could, I could feel the kind of like, um, uh, like a celebrity status happening. You know, you know, you know, I didn't take it for granted, but it's like, you know, I could definitely see stars in my eyes to a certain degree. You know, and I felt like that's something I could push really. Tell me about that phone call. Then. Well, the phone call that the White Stripes gave me. Well, well, initially, I, I did a, I did a bootleg poster. Uh, I actually rang up SJM because SJM were, probably, uh, were promoting the White Stripes. They said, "Is it all right to do this poster?" You know, and they kind of ummed and ahed and said, "Yeah, it's kind of all right." You know, but anyway, it, it, it never got used officially at, at any point. You know, so but I just banged it on the web on on MySpace basically this poster, and um, and then it just kind of travelled around the internet until eventually the White Stripes. Actually saw saw it and said, "Well, the management gave me a phone call. Says, please, can you take down this poster? You're not really meant to sell it. I wasn't selling it anyway. But the the idea that it was out, it was there. wasn't you know, it wasn't something that I was pleased with. But Jack and Meg liked the poster that you designed and would like to work with you. And that's kind of um, how it all began, really. You know. So yeah, so so yeah, so they gave me a slap on the wrist, but on the other hand, they kind of um, Said they wanted to work with me, which was nice. What do you think that says about Manchester's attitude? I think it probably it says more about my attitude. If it was more about Manchester's attitude, everyone would be doing it. You know what I mean? To be honest with you, but you know the 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 thing is, like you know, I'm a chancer, you know, and that's pretty much kind of what I've been told when I was since I was a, a young lad. You know, you got to take these risks and like you got to, you know, you got to, you got to, basically you got to try anything to to kind of take whether the risks or not you know just try things just to kind of help promote your career or just not even not even your career just to kind of you know it's kind of like if you if you know I'm trying to find a crap analogy but um, you know you know you, you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a lottery ticket is pretty much what I'm trying to say you know do you think there's anything about Manchester that kind of helps those types of people do they, is it is it something in the is there a mood? Is there an attitude yeah. around creativity that 
enables people who think they can do something to, you know, the networks, the people right. you meet. Well, I think, yeah, definitely. I think in Manchester, like, like the yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the creative people are all just kind of, they have to give it a go because we're not in London, you see. I mean, and like, there aren't the kind, there isn't the same infrastructure in Manchester to kind of, to actually kind of give people careers full stop, you know, we have to build our own careers like, like when, when living in Manchester. And because we know we have to build our own careers, we have to kind of go out and take these risks, you know what I mean, and, and do things. We can't just kind of just sit on our asses and just kind of hope something comes up here. You really have to kind of, kind of, you know, take the ball and run with it really, you know, and that's pretty much kind of um, how I've dealt with my life over the last few years. Is there a, what about the community? Is there, is there other people with you on that? Yeah, I think yeah, no. There's loads, especially especially now. Is I mean, like I remember when I started, I felt like I was the only illustrator I knew in Manchester. But this is back in the 1990s, and um, but but since now is like I know more designers and illustrators and creative people than I've, than I've ever known. And it's like people, I mean, it might be the recession, but like but like the, everyone's. Having a go at starting up their own companies and stuff now, I think that's really kind of it's really good and it's really productive and it's really and everyone's helping each other as well, you know. And I think that's really kind of it helps it helps the city like in a creatively basically. How does that? I mean, that works not just locally but internationally. You know, I mean, in your own circumstances certainly, but you know that spirit of having a go doing things yeah. means that Manchester's still kind of looked on from across the world for creativity, do you think? Oh. <laughs> You're really stretching me now. You're pushing me. <laughs> Let me think of something. You know, uh, excuse me. Because, uh, um, you know, if I'm to be honest, this, it doesn't really matter where from. But, like, um, no, I think, I think, I think Manchester is an, an important city in terms of the world looking onto it, you know, I, th I think like, okay, we have like the two biggest football clubs in the world now and everyone looks, the world looks on at Manchester like for its sporting successes but the rest of us also have to kind of like, um, uh, you know, uh, be, represent basically, you know, we can't just have, you know, a great football club, we need everything else, like we need great restaurants to kind of support the fact that we have a great, Football clubs. We need, well, not just restaurants. You know, like with great restaurants and great places to go to, everything else needs to be great as well, just to kind of um, to, to to support, you know, everyone everyone else. You know. So we're living up to that at the moment. I think we, I think we are really. You know, I, um, I mean, like, like. Uh, hmm. We are. <laughs> I guess a different way of saying it. You love yeah. Manchester. You yeah. grew up here, kind of. Yeah. So it's not somewhere you discovered by chance, in yeah. a way. But are you proud of what it is today? Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm really proud of the way Manchester is today. I. I don't feel like. Um, I mean, like there was, like there was a case of like everyone who was creative, or everyone who who was business minded, felt the need to leave Manchester and go to London or or elsewhere. But I feel like. Like Manchester has the infrastructure now to be able to support people who wanna 
who want to be successful, you know what I mean, who want to build careers. I think that's what, what Manchester has now. And I think, as I say, you know, it's, it, it is the help of the, of, of the sport, sports and successes here. It's the help of, of, of the growth in restaurants here and the growth in shops and the, and, the, and the influx of more people coming to the city. All this helps the city in, a, in every way. Are you, you so kind of back to China and international yeah. travel and the likes? So there's an air, direct route to, from China to Manchester, there's yeah. direct routes coming out all the time from big, big cities. Do you yeah. think it's, it's a good thing that, there, that Manchester's attracting visitors, investment, you know, tourists from across the world? And how, and how do we, what, what do we say to the world when that happens? <laughs> Christ! I mean, I see the city's yeah. changed so much in my yeah. Um, life. Yeah. And there weren't people queuing up to invest yeah. here, and now they are. What, yeah. I guess what's happened that means that people are yeah. happy to invest here, yeah. to visit. There weren't tourists coming to Manchester. No, no. no, no, no. So what's changed? What's changed? Well, I've, oh God, I think what's changed in Manchester is well since the. Since the IRA bomb, when like the, the amount of investment that the that the EU put into Manchester was immense, and I felt like, and I think even back this was back in '98, I think it was. Was it '98? No, '96. It happened, and like like the money, the money that was reinvested back into Manchester is essentially a risk, really. And since since then, like you can see the the growth has happened, and and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, that risk in putting money back into Manchester didn't seem like a risk anymore. So it became easy for other investment investments or investors internationally to even put more money into the city. And that's and that's pretty much kind of, you know, the, the fact that it didn't become a risk anymore is is what what it became why it became attractive, you know. And like and it's also you don't have to invest as much. Like um. Like in places in London, you know, so, um, so yeah, that's why, I guess, it's all kind of worked out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for your portraits. Yeah. That's what we know for. Yeah. And you know what? How did you come to that style? You've probably been asked this a yeah. times. How did you? How did you develop that as your style? Well, well, oh god, that's really difficult. Well, the thing was that like, portraits was something I always did at school. It was never kind of. Um, Never someone I had struggled with really, you know. It was always something I loved doing, and um, but when it when I came to leaving art school, it was something I, I didn't have the confidence to kind of pursue. It was only that kind of ten years into being an illustrator, actually creating a style as an illustrator, using the and then from 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 painting to working digitally, is is then kind of like on the tenth year I realised. I'm sick of all the all the work I've done, and I want to start doing something I love again, which was drawing portraits. So essentially, I had a illustration style that I created, but then I applied it to drawing, doing uh, faces with. Because I, I was before I was just doing buildings and and stuff, and just kind of lifestyle scenes and stuff like that. I had a very kind of a it was a, it was a very kind of a it was a vector geometric. Kind of style that I created, but then in, I needed to, and then apply that style onto just doing portraits, basically. And um, 
and that it went from there really, you know, and um, and I just just kept kept doing it more because I, I enjoyed it more. So, you know, I felt it was important that that the work I was doing I was enjoying, you know. So that's that was um, that's how that began really. Are they commissions or are they to just kind of pick someone and? Well, initially, though, I was I was just picking people randomly. You mean, well, you know, at a time when I started doing it, Wayne Rooney just joined my United, and so I just I just did Wayne Rooney. You mean, so he was the first guy I did, and then and then I was just like looking up newspapers and and see who's in the news and stuff like that. I think George Clooney was in something, or no, I just watched the Oceans, whatever, Oceans Eleven. I thought I'll, I'll do a picture of George Clooney. So did um so so. so Picture of George Clooney in that style, and then with the Wayne Rooney picture, I put I put him on the on the internet. Well, no, I put it on Twitter. Then Edgar Davids, the footballer, he saw it on Twitter. He said, "I want one of me," so I did one of him, and that's when it just snowballed. Really, you mean? And um, it was really kind of yeah, I was really fortunate in in how that how it snowballed that way. Does it do people commission you more often now, or is it? Is it still? Do you still do it for, just for the fun of it? I, uh, yeah, admittedly, I'm probably, I probably, like for every hundred commissions I get to do a portrait, I probably do one or two for myself, basically. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, pretty much it's all commission work now, which is which is good. But at the same time, it's kind of, I still want to kind of just do people that I want to do. There are a list of people that I just want to do. You mean know. They're all in the back of my head, and it's like I got slowly kind of like, like t ticking them off, you know. And there. Can you give us, well, give us give us a few of them? God, is that is that is that a trade secret? It's not, it's not a trade secret. I just can't I can't <laughs> think right off the top of my head now. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there's the, you know there's a whole there's a whole load of like of like historical figures I want to do actually that I've not actually touched on yet. Like people like like Shakespeare and Gandhi and stuff like that. You know, I want to do more of them, but but like you know, the the thing about about pop culture is they're not ensconced in pop culture, so nobody's going to be interested in them apart from me, which, which, which is no 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 problem. Do you do them because they're controversial, or do you do them because you like the people, or because they're in the news, or what's what's the? Uh, it's a combination of, of of all things, really. I mean, you know, sometimes I will just do people because I like them. Some people, sometimes I'll do people because it's controversial, you know, and the timing's right, you know. It's, yeah, it all depends on on my mood as as much as anything else, as well, you know. So how many do you generally get a good reaction from the people who you do just because you wanted to do them? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess there's a reaction. Well, you know, I think it was it's like I, I did the Beatles like about a year ago, just because because of. You know, not not that anyone don't know who the Beatles were, but I just felt like I was just listening to the White Album and thought I'll I'll do the Beatles because I've not done them properly for for like ten years. And um, yeah, that got a good reaction. You know what I mean? Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. No, he didn't bring me up. He might do one day. <laughs> Actually, wouldn't surprise. You know, no, would it surprise me? No, it wouldn't. No, I'm not. I'm not surprised by but by the weird by the weird phone calls I get now. Who's the most incredible person that they're running? Who stopped you? Who's kind of stopped you in your track? Oh, they're usually footballers, really. I, you know, like um, even I just done one of Gary. I did one of Gary Neville recently, and now he's using it for his um 
avatar on his Twitter page, so that's quite that's quite nice. What yeah. about uh, Donald Trump? Donald Trump, well, yeah, he, he loves me, yeah. Well, no, yeah, I did the Donald Trump image for the New York Times magazine, and it was on the cover. It was his head on a balloon. It was a good concept. Oh, yeah, the concept was great. When I got a phone call, but yeah, I'm in. I'm doing it. You know, but but you know, I, I, but what I didn't expect was like the day after he'll he'll talk about it in the Washington Post. You know, saying he didn't like it and stuff like that. And then he and then he went, the week after that he he moaned about it in in GQ magazine. So yeah, so yeah, I felt I felt very good when he um, when he when he when he showed his uh, anger. <laughs> yeah. Not a fan. No, well, no, he's not a fan of my work. No, which is fine. You're not a fan of his work. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Have you have you done much media in America? Yeah, I, I was doing like like in the run up towards the election, like um, I, I did lots of media. I, I mean, like I, I I drew like Trump dozens of times and Hillary Clinton dozens of times for like different publications over there, which was you know, is is very lucrative, you know, and um, as well as all the all the other Republican candidates as well, you know. So so yeah, so the so. Yeah, in 2015, yeah, I was I was a busy busy guy doing loads of political illustrations. Was that for political commentary, kind of? Pretty much so, yeah, yeah. You know, it was um, uh, yeah, it was um, and um, but yeah, what really annoyed me was it was it was because I guess if I was if I was if I lived in the states, I'll see myself as, as a Democrat. But um, but I was asked to do lots of pictures of Republicans. It's kind of annoying me a bit. Yeah. Do you like your, uh, the idea of your work as political comment? That's kind of um, not that bothered. Is it just about the aesthetic? Um, well, no, well, if it if it if people if people are you know are, are moved by what I do, you know, politically, then that's great. That's great too. But you know, admittedly, if I go back to you know my kind of ethos when I, when I was when I was at school. Or even a student, you know. As far as I'm concerned, it's all style and no content. You mean know? so? What the actual story meant didn't really matter, as long as it looked good. You know, that was pretty much kind of my mantra. And like, but it's, I guess it's kind of changed now as I've grown up. And like, if you know, if people are affected by, or have something to say about what I do, like that isn't purely on a, on an aesthetic level, then. That's great too. Yeah. So you feel that you like the, the idea that there's more meaning in your work. It yeah. still looks brilliant, but the, yeah. the idea that you can I do now, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I merely didn't care a job when I was younger, but yeah, yeah, I do now. I kind of, I kind of try and kind of put some, you know, every now, well, every now and again, if if the if the illustration lends itself to it, I will try and put like a a hidden meaning somewhere. You mean? And that it's, it's it's up to whether other people can spot it or not, you know. Mysterious as well, aren't you? Well, yeah, you can be, you know. As an illustrator, you you you're allowed to be, you know. You know and um, but yeah. <laughs> so, so we need to look out for. Yeah, look out for yeah, look out for hidden meaning. I mean, like I mean, I I, I tell you something like um, a friend. Well, not a friend. Look, he's an artist that I, that that I used to admire, and um, he um, he used to work for the Telegraph. 
being a being a staunch socialist working for the Telegraph is going to cause um, cause friction to a certain degree. But anyway, he was employed by employed by the Telegraph, so he's doing these political images. But like, but, it, but within each image, he he loved these he loved these like little patterns. These patterns were, were actually braille, but they they were they were kind of like anti-fascist slogans like in braille that you incorporate into all his illustrations, which I always found quite funny. Yeah, Clues, yeah. Clues, yeah. yeah. Okay. Are, you, do you, are you, do you stand for anything in particular? Are you like kind of, are you political or not? Really? I've, become, I've become more political in a sense like that um, I'm feeling um, like politics has moved so far to the right that I need, we need to move it back to the, to the left, you know what I mean? I'm essentially, I see myself as a centrist, essentially, but, but, but because of where I stand and where politics has moved so far to the right, I'm in the left now. You mean? Know? But um, but um, but yeah, I I have you know I I don't want politics to be involved in my life too much. But because of the way things have happened, you you have to say something or do something or try and at least kind of you know put a message across. You don't campaign actively for anything. Um, I, well, I do actually. I kind of when I say campaign, it's, it's like um, you know I I go on all the uh, on the anti-Tory marches, or maybe not anti. Well, anyway, I don't know, I don't know how to kind of put them in it, it in um inverted commas, but you know the NHS marches and and stuff like that. I'll I'll go out, you know, and um, and. Um, I mean, I, I raise money for like for refugees. I raise money for the homeless, doing various kind of um, stuff. So you're trying to get something back? Is that yeah. Through arts, like art sales and. Well, well, not through art sales. Literally, like um, we we've done t two pretty big gigs recently. Like um, one to help like Syrian refugees. I mean, uh, me with a few mates, Joel Perry, who's a who works. He he's, he owns a, a sound sound production uh, company and he goes on tour with bands and then there's Elliot Eastwick, he's a, he's a DJ and we put on like two um, big kind of charity gigs recently. In terms of, I, I do all the design and, and promotion of the of the posters and flyers etc. You know, So we all work together in promoting these gigs and we managed to raise about 30 grand over the last last 18 months so that's pretty, um, that's been pretty amazing. Manchester again, because people pull together. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, when yeah when we need to. Yeah, we. I mean, it's like the the Syrian refugee crisis gig we did. Like we had like like in two weeks we 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 the idea happening happened and then in two weeks later we had we had a venue we had we had ten people performing we had Badly Drawn Boy and Johnny Marr playing and is it did Johnny Marr play I don't know I can't remember but anyway. And um, but yeah, it was it was magic. Yeah. Manchester cares? Do you think there's a? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, actually, when I say definitely, there's a part of Manchester that does care a lot. You know, you know? and um, I think that part are, are very vocal and very strong. You know, and it's um, but we need to kind of convince more people to care. I think I don't really have any big ambitions, so to speak. You know, like I mean, like my my one ambition. Which is above everything else is to clear my mortgage and go into semi-retirement. 
That's my big ambition, and to do it before I'm 50, which is not long now. But um, but no, I just kind of like I feel like as a, as an artist, well, I'm more of a, I'm I'm less of an artist and more of a mercenary basically, because because the work I do, I I always work for other clients. That's my kind of that's the way it has been for me for the last 20 years. So I'm guessing what I really wanted to do now is actually do my own art and like more it and and less client-based, commercially-driven stuff, really. Just stuff I kind of, you know, paintings for myself, really. Actually, start painting again is one thing that I want to start doing again. I mean, everything's been digital for the last 10 years. I just want, I mean, I've got an easel, which is over there somewhere. I bought my paintbrushes. I've got canvases that I bought, that I bought recently just so I can get back into it again. But I've not had the time, and it's really frustrating. Would that be portraits again? Portraits, I don't know, just kind of, See what see what happens, really. I mean, I, I, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I always wanted to be an abstract artist, you know, as much as anything else, as well as a portrait artist. And uh, maybe it's the case of combining the two and um, just kind of, you know, there's the, the little things that I wanted to do when I was like, younger. When I say, um, like, a lot of things, you know, when I left art school and I never really managed to achieve and it was it's a case of having to find money in those days which stopped me from achieving my ambitions as artistic ambitions anyway so it's about you, yeah so it's always about me yeah. <laughs> or at least try to be yeah, to a certain degree yeah. thanks for listening don't forget to check out www.citizensofmcr.co.uk for more information about where you can see the citizens of Manchester, the people who shape the place, the place that shapes the world. Brought to you by Marketing Manchester.